1: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
2: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. There's Jerry, and uh, this is the. That that's right. Uh, amazing a, animal. So.
1: That's right. That will uh, partially delight you, and if you're an animal lover, should partially
2: horrify you at times. If you don't like animals,
1: then you're just probably not going to listen.
2: <laughs> I don't know. You could be like, a... yeah, you probably wouldn't listen.
1: Amazing animal stories.
2: Skip. But who would do that? One star. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're talking animals today. And like we said, not just animals, amazing animals. Because animals are great to talk about. We've talked about um, octopi and duck-billed platypi and uh, elephant eye. Did we do the platypus? I believe we have. Hmm. Okay. Almost positive. If not, it's due. This is, so animals are fun to talk about. It's even more fun to talk about animals that are accomplished.
1: That's right. Okay. You know, I was at the uh, playground the other day, and uh, my daughter was playing with another little girl, which is kind of one of the fun things about kids. They just immediately bond with another kid.
2: And the girl turned out to be a bear cub.
1: (laughs) I wish. No, this girl smashed a ladybug and said, yay. Mm. And the parents weren't around. I was there, and I was horrified. And uh, my daughter said, that wasn't nice. You shouldn't kill animals. I Good was like, for her. Good for you. That's great. And then this girl stomped an anthill. The girl's got issues. Yeah. And, I, and you know what? She found another ladybug. And I said, don't touch that ladybug. Yeah. She said, why not? I said, because you killed the last one. Yeah. And I like felt fine like admonishing this child that was not mine.
2: Did you wait until she turned around and clapped by her ear to really startle her to drive it home?
1: No, but she did trip later on, and under my breath, I went karma.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. That's fine. She was fine. And then above your breath, you went, ha-ha. <laughs> That's right. <You> above <laughs> my kid. breath.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, with Mike the Headless Chicken, which we're going to start out with, I couldn't remember <clears throat> how this existed in the annals of Stuff You Should Know because I knew it did, mm-hmm. and I thought it might have been one of our dumb videos, but it turns out it was one of our great videos. Which one? It was, uh, you did a dumb, Don't Be Dumb on this.
2: But surely we've talked about Mike before. I thought we might have, but Don't Be Dumb was the only thing that came up, and it was great. Weird. Well, thank you very sure. much. We've done some cool videos together, though. Have Remember me. this day in history where, like, we <laughs> veered off into, like, conjuring Satan for a little while, I and, like, we those. ended up in a different dimension, <laughs> and I thought those were great. So silly. Uh, anyway, um, okay. <laughs> so, like you said, we're talking about Mike the Headless Chicken first.
1: That's right, which uh, September 1945, if you were in Colorado and you happen to live near uh,
2: the Olson's, Lloyd and Clara. In Fruita, Colorado. Yeah, Fruita. Do you know where that is? It's by Grand Junction, which I think is— Do you know where that is? <laughs> I feel West, like I've been— West Colorado. Okay. Like on the way to like all those amazing nat- national parks.
1: Colorado's very varied, Mm -hmm. You think of Colorado as just being this amazing uh, mountainous state, which it is in parts, but there are also like plains and all sorts of stuff.
2: That's where canyon – There's an ocean right in the middle of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's where Canyon National Park or Canyonland Land Arches – Candyland? That's where the guy cut off his own arm in 127 hours. Oh. Mr. James Franco did.
1: Sure, yeah. So the Olsons were farmers and they were killing birds – uh, Lloyd would cut the heads off of these chickens mm-hmm. and his wife would clean them up because, after all, it was 1945. Right, That's kind of how the division of labor went back then. And he would go in and sell these chickens uh, at the market. And they, he went to gather up all the, the chickens and he got to one with no head that was still alive. Mm-hmm. And he went, what in
2: tarnation? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's a direct quote. You should be dead. I saw that for this one in particular... He he aimed to preserve the neck as much as possible. So he just took off the head. Yeah, right? he, he did a good job, I guess. Because I think his mother-in-law was coming over for dinner, and she liked fried chicken necks. So he was trying to give her a fried chicken neck Just taking the head off. The thing is, this one was still alive, Mm -hmm. and not still alive in the way that a chicken will run around with its head cut off, like everybody knows.
1: Yeah, he was just being a chicken.
2: Yeah. So he did that. He ran around like a chicken with his head cut off, but then he stopped and he started like pecking at the ground with his stump. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He started preening himself. Yeah. Basically acting like he still had a head and like he wasn't planning on dying anytime soon. That's
1: right. So Lloyd said, uh, let me put you in this bo- uh this apple box overnight. Mm-hmm. And uh just I assume we'll get up in the morning and you'll be dead then.
2: God will take his vengeance on you <laughs> right. over the night. I don't won't have to do anything more.
1: Like you consider it a coffin basically. <laughs> right. And uh he woke up in the morning and this chicken was still alive, uh, a rooster technically. So he, he said, What's for breakfast? <laughs> so he took this thing to that meat market just to show everyone, like, you got to see this. Sure. This is what anyone would have done, I think. And then the word starts to spread. Everyone was amazed at this headless chicken. Word starts to spread around fruta.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a, why do I have a bad feeling we're pronouncing that wrong? Is there any other way you could pronounce that?
2: Fruida? Yeah. That could be I mean, in Georgia, they call Cairo Cairo. That's true. And Vienna for Vienna. That's right. Woof. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, did you just woof? Yeah. <laughs> so he takes this
1: rooster. Everyone is quite impressed, of course, uh, at this headless chicken. And word spread around about what was going on there. And that eventually attracts the attention, of course, uh, to a sideshow promoter who said, this chicken is dynamite. I don't think you know what you have on your hands here.
2: Yeah. You you, rube, you hayseed. Yeah. I mean, let's go into business together is what he said. Totally. So um, this guy, his name was Hope Wade. I kept waiting for him to turn into like a, a, an underhanded, devious kind of guy. Yeah. Because he was a 1940s sideshow promoter. He seemed to have been fine. Passed all the great tests. Ex- exploiting all the right uh, humans and animals. <laughs> he, he was just in it for the love of the game from what I could tell. Okay. So he gets together, Hope Wade, the circus uh, sideshow promoter, gets together with uh, Lloyd and Clara. And they start touring the country with Mike the Chicken. But first, I don't understand why they did this. Maybe just to make the whole thing even more bona fide. I'm not sure. They went to Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and we should note that Hope Wade traveled from Salt Lake City to Fruida. I think that's what we're going to go with, okay? Okay. Um, Which was like 300 miles in the 40s, the 1940s. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy distance to travel back then. No. And because he heard about a headless chicken, <laughs> right? But think about like what he was putting on the line with that. Let's say it took him. Um, Four days to get there. Mm-hmm. He could have been doing any number of things those four days. The chicken could have died while he was on the way there, That's and true. yet it didn't. And he made it there, and he became a business partner with the Olsons.
1: He had a hunch, and he went with his gut. Yep, and it paid off.
2: So the first thing he did, sorry, was to take them back to Salt Lake City and introduce them to some scientists there.
1: That's right. So the scientists did a lot of tests. Um, they. Apparently, we don't know this for sure, uh, tried to do this surgically to some other chickens just to see if it worked, I guess.
2: And Mike was like, stop, stop. What are you doing?
1: (laughs) Uh, Life magazine showed up and ran a story in 1945 called (laughs) Beheaded Chicken Lives Normally After Freak Decapitation by Axe. (laughs) That wasn't a freak decapitation. It was very purposeful.
2: Yeah, but I think they were saying like it was freak in that he survived having his head chopped off.
1: Maybe they should have said freaky decapitation.
2: (laughs) Sure. But that's when Mike got huge. That's right, of course. Life magazine was huge. Yeah, it was huge. I think Time eventually did one on him. And, like, it's really hard to overstate how big of a deal Mike the Headless Wonder Chicken, I think is what they ultimately finally dubbed him, became in the United States. Like, he was—people would come from far and wide to go see him whenever he came to town.
1: I mean, once it hit the Internet— it was like wildfire.
2: Well, that's what Life Magazine was basically back then.
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. So uh, they all went to California and Arizona. Uh, then Hope, you know, they had to go back to the farm at some point. Lloyd right. and Clara did. So uh, Hope uh, toward the southeast, which I bet it was just like gangbusters in the southeast.
2: Sure. You know. I looked up um, when he came to Atlanta because he came to Atlanta mm-hmm. and I couldn't find anything about it.
1: Oh, that's because he <clears> went to Terminus.
2: <laughs> right.
1: It was pre Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, they started getting letters. They started getting uh, fan mail. And, and hate mail. Yeah. The, some people compared them to Nazis, which I don't get
2: that at all. Uh, I think experimentation, was, maybe? Yeah. Or, okay. Kind of Mangala esque. <laughs> Mangala esque. Yeah. I combined ish and esque together. That's a nice new trend. Completely messed it up, <laughs> is another way to put it.
1: I think we should start using that from now on. Esh. Yeah, why not. <laughs> okay. I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh they got a letter from Alaska saying um, can you swap out Mike's drumstick and put in a wooden leg and just keep this party going?
2: Only in Alaska.
1: Very funny people there.
2: Um and they were so they became so well known especially around Fruita. <laughs> I hope that's it. <laughs> um because if so, we're the only outsiders to I ever know. pronounce it correctly. You're welcome. Um. Who, thank you. No, not. Yeah. Um. I <laughs> know. Oh, Sorry. So, Fruita, they became so f- well known there that people would write letters to the owners of the headless chicken, and that was it on the outside of the envelope, <laughs> yeah, right. and it would show up at the Olson's door in their mailbox. Yeah, the good old days. So, everything's going quite swimmingly for him. Mm. They made a lot of money off of Mike. He actually lived for eighteen months without a head. Yeah. And, and like there's pictures of him standing there, standing up without a head, and his little head's down by his feet,
1: yeah, you can see this stuff, yeah,
2: it's on the internet, go check it out. it's on the current life magazine, the internet the worldwide life
1: <laughs> yeah, I did some uh you know of course, the calculation the inflation calculation they were pulling in in modern day money mm-hmm. about sixty four thousand dollars a month. Back then it was 4500 and they said-
2: Can you imagine? That
1: Mike was valued in modern money at $142,000, yeah. or ten ten grand back then. Yeah. So they upgraded their farm equipment?
2: Yeah, they bought a new pickup truck.
1: That thing is sweet. Did you look up the, a 46 Chevy
2: pickup? No, but I'm pretty sure I know what it looks like. Oh, man, they're nice. Yeah. Um, and, th- yeah, they made a lot. Of, they went from, like, being poor- colorado farmers to pretty well off colorado farmers they've been using like a mule in a wagon before to go to town now they're driving in their brand new chevy pickup truck so that like it was really good for them that mike managed to live after they cut his head off um but while he was alive they managed to study him and figure out exactly what happened
1: yeah so it's to be fair, it's a little more accurate to say Mike the Faceless Chicken. Okay. Although when you look at a picture, it looks like the head is completely gone. But what happened was he cut off the, the he he accident you know, this is all by accident, of course.
2: Remember, he's trying to preserve as much of the neck as possible.
1: Yeah, which he did because he left the back of the head mm-hmm. on there and apparently these chickens, most of the brain function and the brain itself is a little further back. Tucked back into the neck. Yeah, so he the the brain lived. That's why this chicken was able to walk around and be a chicken. And
2: he he definitely took a slice off of the brain. Oh, sure. But uh, I think this one guy in this one BBC article by Chris Stokel Walker. Um, the chicken that lived for 18 months without a head. Mm-hmm. There's really no wrong headline you can have when no. you're writing about Mike the Headless Chicken. Um, he's, he's, he basically says probably about 80% of the brain was left over. You know, everything that controlled breathing, right. heartbeat, um, digestion, all that stuff. Um, and so all they were left with was figuring out how to keep Mike alive. He still needed food. Even though he didn't have a head or a face or anymore, he still needed food. So the Olsons would actually feed him with an eyedropper, a milk and water combination. They would give him little um, grounds of corn
1: right into the esophagus.
2: Right. Yep. Right into the esophagus. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, when he got phlegmy, or if a little bit of corn got backed up or stuck in there, they would use a syringe to pull it out. Mm-hmm. And Mike lived this way for eighteen months. He actually went from two and a half pounds to eight pounds.
1: Yeah. Without a head. Mike thrived. The big question was like, which I had the whole time, was why didn't this thing just bleed out? Right. Uh, because, it, you know, it had his head cut off. Right. And the science thinks, you know, it just a quick blood clot just kind of took care of it.
2: Yeah. Science went God.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was God. So there's kind of a sad ending. Of course, Mike is eventually going to die. You would hope that Mike just died of old age. He did not. But when they were in uh, Arizona... They uh, woke up to the sound of a chicken choking, and Clara said, "Even Jerry, is that you?" And (laughs) her husband was like, "It's not me this time. Uh It's it's Mike." Right, and sadly, Mike was uh, had expired because they left the syringe behind that would clear that esophagus.
2: Yeah, at the last sideshow they'd been at. And Big, this was a fatal, mis- fatal mistake. It was, which is really sad for Mike. He choked to death on a piece of corn. Oh my God. But they also um watched the the their main source of incredible income. Wealth. Just choked to death on a piece <laughs> of corn because they oh, left the syringe back at the fairgrounds. What a crazy story. So so uh in this BBC article, Troy Waters who is the great-grandson of Lloyd and Clara Olson? Uh, he said that his great-grandfather told him this whole story and for years, basically for decades, would never fess up to Mike dying on him. He said he sold him off to a sideshow promoter. Yeah. And he finally fessed up before his death that Mike had choked on a piece of corn and that that was that.
1: What an amazing story.
2: An amazing animal story.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a break and come back with another right after this. Okay, we're back, everybody.
2: Amazing animal story number two.
1: And this uh, this one is the one that is pretty horrifying in some ways, but also cute, but also horrifying.
2: I I honestly don't know what's horrifying.
1: All right, well, I'll, I'll point it out when we get to it. This, oh, oh, I know it's
2: horrifying.
1: <laughs> this is the story of mm-hmm. uh, Wojtek the bear, and I believe you got a lot of this stuff from uh, Time Magazine and Atlas Obscura mm-hmm. and what else?
2: Another Atlas Obscura.
1: Oh, okay. Wow, they doubled up on this one? They did. For good reason, because it's a pretty amazing story about and an animal.
2: And there's two different memorials you can visit. That's true. So Wojtek the bear, Wojtek is a Polish name, mm-hmm. which is odd for a Syrian brown bear found uh, motherless in Iran, Persia at the time. I don't think it was Iran then, yeah. 1940s? It, yeah, Um Yeah, World War II changed a lot of geography and boundaries and country names.
1: Boy, you're telling
2: me. Right. (laughs) So um, a Polish name for a Syrian brown bear is a little odd until you know the background behind this whole thing. So before we get to the bear, we have to talk a little bit about why there were Polish soldiers in Persia in the 1940s.
1: Well, because of the war.
2: Okay. So now (laughs) we talk about the brown bear. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, specifically, uh, the 22nd Transport Company Artillery Division in the Polish 2nd Corps, uh, they were fighting uh, in World War II. And in April, on April 8th, they find this little cub in the mountains of Iran.
2: Well, there was a boy who had found it, and they, they traded him for it. what they trade? They traded some coins, some chocolate, a Swiss Army knife, and a, a can of beef. Hey, not bad. Yeah. You know? I mean, it depends on how the beef is prepared. <laughs> right. You know?
1: I bet it was some kind of a jerky. Okay. You know, that travels well. Sure. So, by the way, i finally gotten over my beef jerky uh, reticence because, I don't know, years ago when I lived in Los Angeles, I ate moldy beef jerky one night <laughs> when I was up late.
2: What's wrong with you?
1: Well, I didn't mean to. It was, I came home from the bar afterward and I was just eating in the dark in front of the TV. <laughs> I was like, this tastes funny. And I turned on the light, and it was just covered in blue mold, and I vomited, and I literally hadn't haven't had beef jerky in like 15 years. Oh, okay. But I'm back on it. Okay. It's good stuff. Yeah. And a good snack, as it turns out.
2: It is. I have some right here if you want it. No, I'm good. Okay. I, I know you're a, a jerky enthusiast. Yeah.
1: So April 8th, they find this bear, trade it uh, with the boy, and they were Polish prisoners of war who were being moved from Siberia, uh, from a prison there, or mm-hmm. a gulag, mm-hmm. to Egypt, And they got this bear and basically were like, this is our little baby now.
2: Yeah. And just one more thing. So this um, this army, this Polish division of soldiers had been captured by the Soviets and held as prisoners of war. Yeah. But after Germany turned on the Soviet Union, the, um, the Soviets sided with the allies. And part of that siding was to release these Polish soldiers to form a military unit known as Anders Army. Look at you. Okay. All right. And then now they have a brown bear in their position, a little bear cub. That's right.
1: And as you could imagine, these soldiers who had been away from their families and their own children uh, adopted this little baby bear as their own. Mm -hmm. And here's the part that's terrible is he did certain tricks like uh, if they offered him a cigarette, he would take a puff on it and then eat it.
2: Right. That's awful. Yeah. Eat a lit cigarette.
1: Yeah. You should not do that to an animal.
2: No. Or let it
1: drink beer from a bottle.
2: Well, that's pretty hilarious, actually. So a bear (laughs) drinking a beer from a bottle, and this is what one of the people who were there said, um, that Wojtek would drink the beer from the bottle, and when it was empty, he would hold the bottle up and look into the opening to see where the beer went. Right. Because he wanted more. Hysterical. I think it's
1: hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Other things that would happen there is uh, Wojtek would uh, drink a lot of water because you were in in Egypt, of course. It was very hot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he would chase after these oranges that they used for grenade practice. He he would break into the shower uh, so he could drink that water, which was a problem because they were rationing water.
2: Yeah, because they were in Egypt. It's a little scarce outside of the Nile. That's right. So um, he just basically became uh, the mascot for this uh, artillery unit. Yeah. Like just through and through. They loved this bear so much. And he loved them right back. There was a, a... well, just a real mascot thing going on.
1: Yeah, and even when it came to battle, they, there are rules um, that say you can't have a bear in war.
2: <laughs> yeah, It's
1: pretty much... Can't have any pets.
2: Unstated.
1: And so they said, oh, yeah, well, we're going to enlist this bear and give him an official number and rank. Uh, Private Wojtek, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Wojtek, by the way, means joyful warrior. I don't think we said that. No. And so this was now an official... Uh, Soldier of sorts that allowed them to skirt the rules of war.
2: Yeah, he was a private in the second corps. I mean, like that's, and then okay, well, then you can come along.
1: Yeah, see, I thought this was pretty terrible too, bringing a bear along to the front lines.
2: Well, so most of the time when he was in the front lines um, or anywhere with them. He his main role aside from mascotting, was they trained him to just kind of sit in the cab of a truck <laughs> um so to guard it to protect it keep anyone from stealing I it. bet that works Works pretty well I would guess <laughs> Yeah um well during this battle of Monte Cassino um in Italy uh he was there on the front lines guarding trucks and uh, supposedly started carrying crates and artillery during this battle. Yeah. There's no photo documentation of it. There's plenty of pictures of Wojtek yeah. and the Polish 2nd Corps hanging out, doing their thing, wrestling, having fun. Um, there's no pictures from this battle, but there are witnesses who say, yeah, this this 600-pound, 6-foot-tall brown bear was walking around carrying a crate of artillery shells. Were they spent? Were they... New were they unused mm-hmm. who knows but he was definitely doing that that's the story about Wojtek
1: yeah I say get that bear away from the field of battle
2: sure that's just my opinion
1: but I'm sure everyone loved it <laughs> yeah eventually though sadly the war would end and everyone was like well what are we going to do with this bear it's like when you get a bear with a, uh, a significant other and you break up or you know like who's going to take the bear sure And you fight over the bear Everyone wanted the bear, of course. Wojtek was beloved. And they said, well, here's what we don't want to do is send him back to Poland because, you know, the Soviets love their bear insignias. Mm-hmm. And they'll just scoop him up as a symbol for communism.
2: Yeah. And after the Yalta conference, Poland went behind the Iron Curtain. That was that. And so these Polish fighters who had been fighting for Polish freedom mm-hmm. got the exact opposite at the end of World War II. And they're like, you're not taking our bear. You're certainly not going to make them a symbol of communism, like you were saying.
1: Yeah, and they were fighting with the Allies and the Brits by this point. So Mm -hmm. they ended up—I think Wojtek ended up in Scotland because of that.
2: Yeah, with this, um, the 22nd Artillery Regiment, they ended up in Scotland around Edinburgh. um, And so he was with them when the war ended, and their status was kind of up in the air, too. Yeah, They all decided to live in exile, and um, Wojtek lived with them. And he eventually went to the Edinburgh Zoo and became— One of the most popular uh, attractions at the zoo for years.
1: Yeah, and was just sort of like uh, in the Army, was a part of the community. Uh, Apparently, they would take him around to kids' parties. He would go to concerts and dances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just a beloved bear.
2: He knew how to yell, free bird, at inappropriate (laughs) times.
1: Uh, An amazing bear. At the age of 22, uh, sadly, Wojtek would die in 1963. I don't know about how old bears are, but that seems like a decent life for a bear.
2: How old? 22. Sure.
1: But they think uh, partially why this bear died was because of damage to his esophagus from that cute little cigarette trick that they would play.
2: (laughs) Isn't that awful?
1: Yes, it is.
2: So there's a woman named... um... Or her last name is Or. Eileen Or Eileen Or yeah. Or. She wrote, Wojtek the bear, Polish war hero. There's a colon in there. You can figure out where it goes. Um, and she said that she lives in this farm that Wojtek lived in in Scotland right before he was moved to the zoo. And his claw marks are still on some of those trees. Wow. Which that would be quite a sight to see. Amazing. Yep. I thought so too.
1: Is that all you got on Wojtek?
2: That sure is, Chuck.
1: All right, we're going to take our final break and come back with a tale of another animal adopted by the military right after this.
2: All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go.
1: Okay, so final amazing animal story, yet another animal adopted by a military unit. Uh, this was not a bear in Poland, though. This was a very cute dog, a St. Bernard, mm-hmm. uh, Bamsa, B-A-M-S-E, uh, that was adopted by the Royal Norwegian Navy during World War II.
2: That's right. And he kind of got drafted along with uh, his owner, who's a guy named uh, Lieutenant Erling Hafto. Great name. And Erling Hafto um, was a master in a town called Honingsvog on the Margoroya Island. <laughs> You're really going for it, huh? I don't think I got that last one right. Uh, in Norway, right? The north coast of Norway. Um, and so... Uh Bumpsa would just kind of like hang out with, with Lieutenant Hafto. He was like the family dog. Mm-hmm. And very early on um he became beloved, at least with the Hafto family, when little Vigdis Hafto, the three year old daughter, fell ill. And apparently Bumpsa would not leave her side for like this whole twelve days when so she cute. was at death's door yeah. until she recovered.
1: Yeah, so they thought this dog is good luck. Yeah. Uh it I don't know if they thought it healed her daughter. Probably not. Or their daughter, but sure. Uh, But they thought it was certainly a good omen.
2: And at the very least, an exceedingly loyal dog.
1: Yeah, and this was in 38. In 39, uh, World War II um, breaks out. And so Hafto was called to active duty. uh, And this is, you know, something if you've seen the movie Dunkirk, um, they, they would take, you know, civilian ships and basically make them into warships, and not necessarily like battleships, but. Uh, bring them into active duty as well. Mm-hmm. And so they gave him a whaling ship called the Thorod, with two Ds, mm-hmm. and said, you are now a coastal patrol boat and you are a patrol boat captain.
2: Right. So um, he was part of the Norwegian army and as a ship's dog, which Bumpsa was, he was the, the ship's dog already. Um, when he was entered into the log, he became part of the Norwegian Royal Navy himself. That's right. So he was Bumpsa. Sea Dog of the Royal Nor- Norwegian <laughs> Navy, right? That's
1: right. Where did you find this stuff, by the way?
2: Oh, this uh, this came from f- Famous Dogs in History.
1: <laughs> I loved it. Uh, That's probably one of your favorite websites.
2: Yeah, and then Kit and Morgan Benson uh, had something on Find a Grave, and then there are some other ones I've seen. Um, so Bumpsa and Lieutenant Hafto are just kind of hanging out, doing their thing, coastal patrolling on the Thorod. And it's not just the two of them, but Lieutenant Hafto is in charge of the Thorod. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole crew, and they're starting to love Bumpsa like more and more and more. Of course. Um, eventually, the the Nazis invade Norway. Cue the booing. And the Norwegian king says, everybody, let's get out of here. We're going to go form a government in exile in the U.K. Right. Let's go to spe- Scotland. Specifically Scotland. Um, everybody regrouped there. And so the Thorod and Captain uh, Lieutenant Hafto uh, were put in charge of minesweeping around Dundee, Scotland. That was their thing now, keeping the U.K. safe.
1: Yeah, and just like it's very similar to the to the Wojtek story in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. They both ended up in Scotland.
2: They were like an hour and a half car drive apart from one another at the same time. That's crazy. Isn't it?
1: So uh, just like with the Wojtek story, Bombsa becomes beloved by the town. Uh, goes on the pub crawls, would sit at the bar. Uh, apparently, there was one story where there was a cat sitting uh, uh, in the seat that was usually uh, occupied by the dog. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, Bumpsa comes in and is like, get out of here, cat.
2: Yeah. That's my seat. And not only did he go to the bar just to hang out, he went to the bar to drink beer with his um, fellow sailors.
1: Again, Boo.
2: Drank beer out of a bowl. It's not good for a dog, but kind of hilarious still. But uh-huh. he was also kind of the DD because he was well-known for going to the bars and the pubs to get his sailors back to the ship before a curfew so they wouldn't get in trouble.
1: That's right. Uh, he learned how to open doors. Uh, he wore a little hat, mm-hmm. which is very cute. You can see a picture of this. Yeah. A little sailor's cap.
2: So once he learned to open doors, he could visit like all the businesses all around the harbor. Oh,
1: yeah. People are just like, come on in.
2: After he learned to open doors, he learned to ride the bus.
1: Yeah, they gave him a bus pass that he wore around his neck. Yes, that is super cute.
2: But not only that, Chuck. What makes it even cuter is Bumpsa would go to the bus stop and sit there and wait, <laughs> yeah. and the bus drivers would stop and let him on, and he would climb yeah. up to the top deck and sit there and like look out and be like, "Hey, I'm Bumpsa." <sighs> so great. Good to meet you.
1: So uh, I think you said that he was. Uh, he ended up being good luck still uh, to these soldiers. He was. There were more than one instance where Bumpsa would either break up a fight mm-hmm. or foil some sort of crime. Mm-hmm. There was one soldier who was getting mugged, and Bumpsa came up and attacked the mugger. Uh, one guy went overboard. Uh, I think he was a, a, a kind of drunk at the end of the night and fell in the water. Mm-hmm. And Bumpsa jumped in and, you know, barked and barked and then kept this guy afloat until they could rescue him.
2: Yeah, like saved at least two men's life. Pretty, pretty great. Um, he also was extraordinarily brave. Um, when when the the Thorod would um, would be out patrolling and take a, take fire from German planes, yeah, he would sit next to the tail gunner, I guess, on the tail of the boat. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it. Um, and w- with a little helmet, a little steel helmet on his head. Yeah, there's pictures of that. And yeah. just sit there and I'd probably point with his paw like there's one over there I can't imagine the there's sound one. I guess it just didn't didn't bother him yeah and he would not leave the gunner's side until the the attack had been till t-
1: all the Nazis were dead yeah
2: <laughs> so um, he'd swim out to the down plains and chew the throats out of the wounded. <laughs> he was a full service sea dog
1: so at one point uh, this dog was transferred oh I'm sorry the uh, the owner was transferred to another ship. And everybody was like, no, 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 you're not taking Bumpsa with you.
2: Yeah, he was going to. And they're like, no. <laughs> they
1: like, this dog's staying here.
2: He's like, I'm the captain.
1: Yeah, and the, the dad yeah. of the dog. He said,
2: nope, he belongs to this ship.
1: Yeah, and that town. And that's what happened. They left him there, which was uh, the right. And it was temporary, of course. It's not like he was. It was just for a few months. You're right. So they were eventually reunited.
2: So Bumsa is like this beloved sea dog, not just in this town of Dundee. Um, I think it was actually Montrose, Scotland, Um, but all over the UK and basically became like the mascot of the entire Norwegian Royal Navy. He was beloved is Uh is a really good way to put it. He was known as a peacemaker, a lifesaver, very brave, very sweet. Um, And so when he died, it was a big, big deal. He was only something like, I think... um, Seven. Seven years old. Yeah,
1: 1944, you know, these... Saint Bernards, those bigger dogs, have a little shorter lifespan. I yeah, think, yeah, for sure. Um, but a pretty good seven years, and the whole town came out in a big way.
2: Yeah, they canceled school so the school children could attend his That's funeral. Amazing. They gave him um, a a funeral with full military honors. His casket was draped in the Norwegian flag. Yeah, like it was a big deal. Soldiers came from all over the place. The town just basically stopped that day to attend. Bumpsa's funeral.
1: That's right. Over a thousand sailors and villagers attended this funeral. Pretty great. And uh, I think there, there's there. Does this one have two statues, or was that mm-hmm. Wojtek?
2: Wojtek has two statues, uh, one in Krakow and one in Edinburgh, and then Bumpsa has one in, I believe, in Dundee, Scotland, and then the other one is going to be in Norway. I don't know if they've raised it yet.
1: And then in 2006, too, the story gets even better because Bumsa was awarded posthumously, of course, the People's uh, Dispensary for Sick Animals, gold medal, Mm -hmm. uh, as the animals version of the
2: George's Cross
1: or the George Cross.
2: Right. And who accepted it on his behalf?
1: Uh, Vigdis, the little girl who was on death's door until she
2: got those sweet, sweet St. Bernard licks. Yeah. Pretty Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's it for Amazing Animals, everybody. If you want to know more about Amazing Animals, just go start reading about them. It will turn your day around. Or just
1: walk outside and look around.
2: Yeah, go kiss your closest animal. How about that? Yeah. Uh, And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail.
1: Uh, Kudos, guys, on the MH370 podcast. We got That must have been a good one. We got a lot of good response from that one. Yeah. As well as other people that were like... Aviation's tough, and you guys did an okay job.
2: (laughs) I didn't see any of those.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of those technical details, but I think we told a good story in the end. Okay. Uh, I live in Kuala Lumpur and have uh, even flown on MH370 before this this incident. That's so creepy. Uh, You covered this one really well and handled the cultural issues well, too. Really appreciate that you reached a conclusion in a logical, well-reasoned, and unbiased manner. This includes your reference to other uh, suicide flights like the Silk Air flight. You are spot on. Uh, Malaysia is not interested in the truth in this case and are happy to see this as an act of God. Hence the prayer they show on every single flight since. Uh, Yes, they put a prayer on the screen before every takeoff asking God to bless the flight. As Westerners, we will never understand this fatalistic approach as we can see a real cause for this terrible event that uh, they prefer to pass off as God's will. This rift between how we think about it and how they think about it is real. I don't mean to be bigoted or anything, but I have lived in this culture for 40 years now and understand that people do think differently. Uh, my wonderful wife uh, that is from here even agrees with this assessment. So well done, guys. This is one of your best podcasts, well-researched and well-presented,
2: calling it as it is, sadly. Cheers, Pete. Thanks, Pete. That was nice of him. Yeah. Um, that's great. I don't have anything to add. That's great. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Pete did, thanks again, Pete, uh, you can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and look for our social links there. And you can also send us an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com.
0: Stuff you Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.